transmitting live from the heart of Times Square on 99.5 FM, WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area. This is Trump Watch, a weekly series investigating the actions of and reactions to President Donald J. Trump and his administration. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Conrad Tokyo, Sparrow, In my remarks yesterday to the United Nations General Assembly, I laid out my administration's commitment to building a more just and peaceful future. Regrettably, we found that China has been attempting to interfere in our upcoming 2018 election, coming up in November, against my administration. They do not want me or us to win because I am the first president ever to challenge China on trade. And we are winning on trade. We are winning at every level. We don't want them to meddle or interfere in our upcoming election. That was President Trump speaking at a meeting of the UN Security Council on September 26th, footage courtesy of CNN. Hello and welcome to Trump Watch. Although the president has been reluctant to acknowledge that Russia hacked the 2016 election, saying as recently as July that he, quote, doesn't see any reason why it would be Russia, after a one-on-one meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin in Helsinki, as reported by Business Insider, he does appear now to believe that a different foe, China, is the major player in cyber attacks against the U.S. election system. That foe just doesn't happen to be the same one that 17 of the president's own intelligence agencies concluded was behind the hacking. Yet this rare mention of cyber terrorism in the president's remarks last month at a U.N. Security Council meeting, under a minute in all, belies the greater truth that whichever country is attempting to attack our election systems on November 6th, They are encountering a national voting system that is old, unsecure, and dangerously lacking a paper trail. According to my guest Pema Levy, this is due in no small part to President Trump and congressional Republicans' refusal to take the issue of election hacking seriously. We spoke just before this broadcast. Joining me on the show this week is Pema Levy, a reporter at Mother Jones. Pema co-wrote the feature in this month's issue of the magazine with A.J. Vicens entitled The Midterm Elections Are in Serious Danger of Being Hacked Thanks to Trump. Why has the White House and its GOP allies in Congress done so little to combat the threat? She joins us now from California. Hello, Pema. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the main idea of your article, and then we'll backtrack on some of the history that got us here. How great is the danger of our voting systems being hacked in the 2018 midterm elections when people head out to vote on November 6th? I think the danger is very high. Uh, You know, I think that certainly the capability, should Russia or another nation state decide to hack our elections, Uh, by going after individual states, by going after the vendors that sell states their equipment. Uh, You know, that's that's all incredibly possible. Uh, We have basically, you know, left the door open to hackers uh, over the years. Uh, That doesn't mean that it will necessarily happen. I think that, you know, 
Russia and other nation states will have to sort of weigh the risks of doing uh, interference and, and decide if it, if it makes sense for them. Uh, but the capability is certainly there. And, and they, Russia, uh, for one, has been building that capability for years now. So if they chose to deploy it, they absolutely could. What are some of the more likely scenarios under which the kind of election hacking you're describing in the piece could occur? Sure. There are a lot of ways to hack an election. And, and by the way, when we're talking about hacking, uh, I'm excluding um, the type of interference that we talk about a lot, which comes through social media and disinformation. Um, you know, I'm talking about basically meddling with um, election uh, databases, with vote tallying, with registration systems. Uh, one of the main fears is something that doesn't necessarily change the outcome of an election, but sows chaos and basically makes American voters question whether or not they can trust their own elections. And people are really afraid of this um, scenario because when you can't trust your elections, then you have a hard time accepting the winner of the election. And it really um, is sort of a, a virus um, that you can implant in a democracy when you don't trust the elections anymore. So you could do things that just, you know, basically shut down a register, you know, a polling book or a registration system so that, you know, a state has to take everything offline and all of a sudden the lines to vote are really long. Um, you know, you could go in and delete a few names from a poll book so that some people show up to vote, they're not on the list, you know, and now in social media news of that will spread really fast and it will, again, cause chaos. Uh, and then, the, you know, there are scenarios where you could um, basically change the I mean, change the results or just change the reporting of the results so that, you know, if you went back and did an audit, you would find out the true winner of the uh, race. Uh, but at the time, you could sow a lot of confusion by basically having uh, the information that goes out to the network, television, and the AP um, basically misreport the winner. Uh, and then, of course, as I mentioned, you, there's the capability to actually change the outcome uh, of a race. That's more difficult, but it's possible. So there's sort of a a buffet of options uh, if Russia or another uh, country decided to uh, attack us in that way. What are some of the other items in this buffet? So it depends on how complex you want to go, really. Uh, but there are basically, basically, it would be possible for a nation state to put malware into a state system, and that would disrupt the vote tallying. That's another you know, nightmare scenario. Uh, there have been, you know, demonstrations of this. Uh, people who are experts in um, voting security have gone have basically showed how you put malware into a voting system onto an election machine, for example, or into a database uh, and use that malware to literally change the outcome, literally change a vote from one candidate to another. Uh, so, you know, apart from sort of the, the chaos scenario, there there is real capability to do uh, bigger damage. And what about other nations with this hacking? Uh, a lot of your article focused on Russian efforts, both confirmed and possible future ways of hacking our elections. Uh, what about other nations? President Trump has been hesitant to admit that it was Russia who, hacks, ha who hacked the 2016 presidential election, uh, saying at a UN Security Council meeting last month that he believed it was China who was, quote, attempting to interfere now in the 2018 election. How much evidence is there to support this claim? Yeah, well, first of all, there is a mountain of evidence suggesting that uh, it was Russia that was doing uh, most of the interfering. And so, you know, when we talk about interference in 2016, that, that was Russia. And I don't think there's you know, apart from the president and a few of his allies, there's really much dissent in that view. 
Um, but certainly they're not the only uh, country to have uh, interfered in our elections in, in terms of, of basically, you know, hacking and poking around and seeing what's up. Uh, China has done that in the past. Uh, and, that I, you know, officials are warning that China wants to do that again. Uh, North Korea is a country with a history of hacking. They hacked Sony, for example. Um, you can imagine Iran as a country that might be interested also in hacking. They might be a country now that, um, you know, now that Trump is against the Iran deal, that uh, that might want Democrats to win, for example. So, uh, you know, those are those are three countries that I think are on people's radar. But but certainly China, you know, China poked around um, in Barack Obama's campaigns and Mitt Romney's campaigns in previous cycles. So that, that fear is really real. Right. Uh, as you report, this type of uh, election hacking is uh, something that's been with us for quite some time, uh, at least, as you said, dating back to 2008. But what's different about the kind of hacking we're seeing now from Russia and others in terms of our election systems? Sure. So in the past, I think it was almost a given, you know, that a country like China uh, might decide to hack a campaign. And the idea wasn't that they were going to try to change the election. They just wanted some intel. Uh, basically, that's the idea, right? So they would be like, I wonder what the Obama campaign is saying about China, or I wonder what the McCain campaign is saying about China. Uh, what was different in 2016 was that Russia took the information that they had hacked and they weaponized it. Uh, you know, they, for example, released emails from the DNC. They released emails from John Podesta. Um, you know, they sewed basically a different narrative about uh, the campaign and about the candidates into the American public. Uh, and so they basically turned that into into a weapon. So, uh, you know, when we're talking about, you know, specifically the hacking of, of campaigns, um, they took that to another level. And I think what they what they did and what, what the fear is uh, among, uh, you know, foreign policy experts and hacking experts is that they basically demonstrated, one, that it's effective, and two, that anyone can do it. It could be China, it could be North Korea, and it could be, uh, you know, as I would like to say, just, you know, a lone hacker that, that you know, is, for, is out for hire or wants to make a statement. Um, you know, basically, you know, they showed that these systems are, are vulnerable and that these influence campaigns uh, can make a difference. And this is, of course, John Podesta, who was the chairman of Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign, whose emails were hacked and shared through the website WikiLeaks, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct, yes. In the, in the final weeks of the 2016 campaign. You and your colleague, A.J. Vincennes, recount some truly disturbing anecdotes in your Mother Jones article about cases of uh, election hacking uh, or election system hacking. Can you talk about what the hack of the Illinois State Board of Elections taught us about how quickly the Russians are advancing in their efforts to disrupt our elections? Yeah, the the Illinois example is one of these sort of perplexing episodes from 2016 that there's still a lot of deba debate about, but it, it's really interesting. Um, it was as far as we know, the most successful uh, state-level attack uh, of the last election cycle. Essentially what happened is that uh, one day the folks at the Illinois Board of Elections went to work and realized that their systems had completely crashed, and they had done so because of an attack. And what they realized, what was actually really scary about that attack, is that they realized 
that the Russians had actually been in their systems, not starting that morning, but starting three weeks earlier, snooping around in their systems and actually stealing uh, personal data of uh, about half a million uh, voters. So, it, I mean, it, and it, and basically, <laughs> uh, you know, basically, it's unclear what Russia was trying to do there. Were they trying to actually change election results? Were they trying to change the voter registration database? Uh, were they trying to simply sow chaos and make people question the outcome of the election? Um, if there's an answer, it's uh, not declassified, and I, I don't know it. And I think that, you know, people who do have access to classified information have different ideas about what the goal was. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, Illinois does not have the most vulnerable database. Uh, and those states have done some work since then to, uh, you know, fortify themselves. Uh, if the Russians wanted to go back into basically any state uh, database, uh, and mess around, uh, I think they would be able to do that. From all the reporting you've done and seen, how advanced do you believe the Russians are in their capacity for cyber attacks on the U.S.? Are they more advanced than we are in our capacity to attack, to, to launch these kinds of attacks on this country, or is that too classified to know? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, but I do know that this is... Basically, from everyone that we spoke to and from everything that we've learned, this is not, the Russians were not doing some one-off little thing. Uh, you know, they weren't just, like, showing up, you know, they didn't send their amateur team. Uh, this is a long game. Uh, they have been looking into how to exploit vulnerabilities in the U.S. specifically since at least 2014, according to the uh, U.S. Senate report. Uh and, you know, there are reports just recently that they're developing increasingly sophisticated malware that they can basically put onto a computer, and even if you completely wiped your computer, it would still be there. Uh, so they are continuing to play a long game. I think the, the big question is just, you know, where they deploy, um, you know, their resources. But their resources are really good. Um, you know, they've invested a lot in this. And uh, I think, you know, one of the problems is that there's so many sort of points of access into our system, whether it's a campaign or a state, that it's unclear that, you know, we would even know that they were there. Uh, you know, their their capabilities are strong enough that, that they can, you know, as Illinois showed, they can be lingering in a system for weeks, uh, if not years, and, and we wouldn't know. I'm speaking with Pema Levy, a reporter at Mother Jones. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. Pema, let's back up a bit now. You report that as President Barack Obama prepared to leave office, his administration had no doubt that Russia had mounted a devastating disinformation campaign and hacked our electoral systems and would likely do it again. So why do you believe the Obama administration didn't do more to protect our election systems? So when we were writing our story, we were talking to election officials about this exact problem. And I think one of the issues is they just, they found out too late. You know, by the time they grasped the problem, the election was, was only a few months away. And, you know, this is, you know, a, a country we made up of, <laughs> uh, you know, 50 states and, uh, you know, 9,000 election, local election boards or something like that. So, you know, there was just too much to do. Uh, and so basically they tried to exert, you know, diplomatically uh, force uh, on Russia and to say, you know, don't meddle. Uh, and then they were also restrained, I think, by politics, um, you know, and by Republicans who didn't want to uh, 
claim that Russia might interfere on their behalf. And so, you know, and they didn't want to, Obama didn't want to look like he was, you know, weighing in on behalf of, of Clinton. And so I think that there were sort of political reasons why they didn't want to go really public with this. And then there were just, you know, capability issues with how much they could do with just a few months. Uh, and so they were, they were really limited in, in how they could respond. You describe a contentious conference call in August of 2016 between President Obama's Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson and state officials who are, quote, neutral to negative on the idea of federal assistance to secure state voting systems. Why do you believe these state officials were so reluctant to receive federal assistance in this area? Sure. This has actually been an ongoing problem. On the one hand, I think that state officials honestly work really hard to secure their systems and do the best they can with the resources that they have. Uh, But on the other hand, there's always a bit of a turf war between local officials and the federal government. And also, you know, if you're an elected official, an elected partisan official maintaining uh, your state's election system, it's really bad news for you if the government comes in and says you're vulnerable and you want to be able to basically reassure your voters that they're not, and you want to prove that you're doing your job. And so it's often taken, you know, as an affront to, to their ability to do their job and to sort of maintain their turf uh, when the government comes in and says, hey, you're vulnerable, you probably need our expertise. Uh, you know, why don't we send someone in to do a scan of your system? Uh, you know, some of them, you know, certainly welcome that help, um, but others, uh, I think, um, you know, partly it comes with the territory and partly for political reasons, um, were really opposed to that. And uh, it's actually, you know, from what we've heard from sources in Congress, it's really uh, made it a lot harder for Congress to do anything on this issue, because a lot of uh, secretaries of state, particularly in Republican states, um, really push back and really, you know, call their senators and say, we don't want this interference, you know, let us do our jobs. Only two states moved to paper ballots or printed backups following the hacking of the 2016 election, Virginia and Nevada. And Colorado is the only state in the U.S. that requires the kind of post-election audit most cybersecurity experts are calling for. Why have states been so slow to make these fundamental changes to their voting systems? Probably a lot of it has to do with resources. I think that states are uh, actually you know, moving toward paper ballots now. It takes a while. It takes money. Uh, but I do think that that's one area where we can report some good progress. There are exceptions, uh, certainly, but for the most part, paper ballots are, uh, you know, increasingly, I think, what we're going to have, uh, you know, for 2020 at least. Uh, when it comes to the audits, again, I think, it, you know, it has to do with money. It has to do basically with, you know, acknowledging that there is a problem. Uh, you know, when, when you're the, the person in charge and the buck stops with you and someone comes in and says, you're not doing a good enough job, um, you know, there's a lot of, initial reasons to push back, sort of, you know, certainly, you know, to be able to prove that you're doing your job right. And so there's been a lot of this, um, a lot of that has been going on now. I I do think that uh, you will probably see more secretaries of state increasingly willing to implement uh, some of these um, sort of fail-safes. One of the other main points of your article is the lack of response for, uh, or, or should I say, to the hacking of the 2016 election among Republicans in Congress, despite uh, no support from their Republican colleagues, House Democrats finally put forth a bill in February 
uh, allocating $1.7 billion to support local elections. Do you have any sense of how effective this bill has been or other similar congressional efforts? So the only success in, you know, it's basically been more than two years now since the Russians started, uh, you know, since we knew the Russians uh, were uh, mucking around in our election infrastructure. And there's been one small success, which is that Congress in uh, the 2018 budget put $380 million towards states to improve their security. And that money has gone out and states have made some improvements, but there's so far to go. I mean, some of that money went towards things like two-factor authentication. And two-factor authentication is great, but it's not going to stop the Russians. So there needs to be a lot more that needs to be done. And uh, Republicans have basically said, you can have $380 million and that's it. Democrats have tried to put it into to, you know, next year's budget, and they were uh, rebuffed. And that's been the only success. Uh, I think one of the most startling things is that the, in the Senate, there was actually a bipartisan bill uh, to improve election security. This was ultimately not a very strong bill. It was watered down a lot to get Republican support. Um, funding attached to it was stripped out in order to pass it. Uh, it was further stripped down, is my understanding, in order to please Mitch McConnell. And on the day, on the actual day that it was headed, finally headed to a, a committee markup, uh, the meeting was canceled. And there's a lot of rumors about whether or not that directive came from Mitch McConnell. Um, there are some evidence that may have come directly from the White House. Um, but you actually have a situation in which you have a bill that has several Republican co-sponsors, and it can't even get a hearing. Uh, and so I think that Basically, what that shows is that not only is there not a political will to fix this issue in Congress, but there's actually some pretty strong forces that don't want Congress to touch it. Uh, I think that Republicans take it very personally, and particularly the president takes it very personally. And people are afraid that they might get behind this issue. And then, you know, <laughs> you know, basically, President Trump tweets that you're in on a hoax, uh, you know, or that you're, you know, delegitimizing his win or something. And so I think there's a lot of fear about touching this issue. And the result has been that Congress has done virtually nothing. There's obviously a long history of attempts to alter elections from within this country, uh, from voter disenfranchisement, particularly among minorities, to attempts to gerrymander or redraw, redraw district lines to ensure one party's dominance in a particular area. Uh, to the Supreme Court's 2010 Citizens United ruling, which unleashed an almost endless stream of dark money in politics, a result they attempted to curtail, by the way, with a, ru with a ruling last month. Uh, but where do these hacking attempts by foreign actors rank in terms of severity compared to these other threats to our democracy? That's an interesting question. I don't think that you need to rank them because I think that they're quite different. Um, I think you can look at the numbers when it comes to something like a voter ID law or gerrymandering. You can say, you know, that might have a, that, you know, certain people might be in Congress that, that wouldn't be if it weren't for that. Maybe, you know, even, you know, if, if the election comes down to one state and the margin is really small, then, you know, voter ID or voter purges may have had an impact. Um, but when you're talking about Russian hacking, you're talking about, you know, the equivalent of a, a we're talking about cyber war. Um, you know, we're talking about another nation state having a, a say on who our elected officials are. And so I think, you know, they're both uh, incredibly dangerous and incredibly important to address. 
Um, but they're, you know, and the, the results could, you know, could be the same, could be, you know, stealing an election. Um, but they come from two very different places. Uh, and there's, you know, uh, it's important to, <laughs> um, you know, make sure that the, uh, yeah, our, our, the integrity of our elections is maintained both from within and from uh, a foreign power. What will you be watching for or where will you be watching on November 6th? Is there a specific outcome that would tip you off that hacking did or didn't occur? That's a really good question. I think what people are most afraid of right now is sort of a chaos scenario. And so I think, you know, you could look for, for example, um, state systems, you know, crashing. But of course, also those things just happen sometimes. You know, you can't necessarily immediately assume that it's Russia. Sometimes our systems just go down on their own. Uh, but I do think that, you know, whatever happens on Election Day, even if nothing happens, you can't come out of uh, November 2018 and think we're in the clear. Uh, because I think that there's a lot of, of evidence and reason that, you know, Russia might want to downplay their interference this year, uh, but have a whole lot more at stake in 2020. And so it would certainly be a bad idea if we don't have obvious signs of hacking um, this November to assume that the threat has gone away. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Pema Levy, a reporter at Mother Jones. Pema co-wrote the article, The Midterm Elections Are in Serious Danger of Being Hacked Thanks to Trump. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Reggie Johnson engineered this program live. You can hear all 90 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter, and I'll be back next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down another aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time.